Once again, good morning. For those who might not have been with us during the Sunday School Hour last night, uh, my, my name is Tom Hoyle with Bible and Science Ministries with my faithful, loving, uh, very patient, long-suffering wife, Penny. Uh, you ladies should pray for her. If you think you've got it rough, it could be worse. Uh, we have a house full of skulls and skeletons and fossils and mineral specimens and crystals and artifacts and scientific models and that kind of thing. So uh, uh, praise the Lord, ladies, that you're not married to me. Anyway, uh, as you know, last night we talked about the scientific accuracy of the Bible, didn't we? And that's been our main ministry for 30 years now, since 1985. During the week, I speak in public schools, Christian schools, homeschool groups, Awanas, youth rallies, that kind of thing. And of course, on Sundays, we get to be in God's houses like yours. And we cannot thank you enough for your interest and friendship and support. Uh, I do serve in the Air Force Reserve, but that's only a couple days uh, a month and two weeks during the summer. So we're very grateful to churches like yours. They keep, keep us on the road the rest of the time for our ministry. Um, I have been in the Air Force Reserve now for 34 years, and as we mentioned during Sunday school, I became very concerned about the fact that most Americans weren't hearing the whole truth about not just the origin of the universe, but the origin of our country. So I began sharing for civilian audiences programs that I've been doing for military audiences. And we now have seven presentations regarding God and America and how, in spite of all of America's mistakes and flaws and sins, he's not done with this country quite yet, is he? He still can get some use out of our country if we don't throw in a towel, right? Well, anyway, during Sunday school, we looked at God at work throughout America's history. And we have a companion program to that presentation, if you're interested. In this hour, we'll be looking at God, creation, and national treasure. Before we start, we've been asked some very good questions about the resources over there so that people don't get the wrong books for the wrong reasons, which would be very easy to do. Let me say a quick word about some of these. My favorite book about God and country Rediscovering God in America. This is a great summary of what God's been doing in our country, folks, for the last several hundred years. A wonderful reference book by a friend of ours, America's God and Country by William Federer. This is the ultimate reference book. Many people ask me about the quotations and facts in our programs. I got those from all kinds of different sources, including the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. Well, William Fetter's got almost everything packed in this one book, folks. We're very pleased to make it available. We mentioned this book during Sunday school. It's my wife's favorite book. I can see why. Miracles in American History. 32 Amazing Stories of Answered Prayer. And we looked at 10 of those, didn't we, during Sunday school. Ladies, everybody likes this book, but especially the guys do. Don't quite know why, but it's a terrific book, great for anniversary presents, birthdays, that kind of thing. The American Patriot's Almanac by William Bennett. He's a very devout man. He wrote the Book of Virtues. This whole book is about God and country. As for the DVDs, uh, a very popular DVD. In fact, the film was in the theaters. It's Kirk Cameron's Monumental, talking about God and America. Uh, one last item, folks. I'm finishing up a program I'm very excited about. I believe the most inspirational American in all of our history was a very unlikely person. It was George Washington Carver. This man is absolutely amazing. He had absolutely everything going against him. 
it didn't matter. By the power of God and his perseverance, folks, he achieved incredible things. And this is my favorite book about him. So much for all that. Ordinarily, we tell you some corny jokes and more stories, but we've got to get started, folks, because we have more that we'd like to share with you regarding God and country on this weekend, at which time we're honoring our veterans. Having said all that, can we have the lights, please? And let's begin. All right, thanks so much. As you might already know, folks, the most sacred document in American history after the Bible, that's right, it would have to be the Declaration of Independence. And as you know, there have been various films and TV programs, books and articles and websites about this document. Each summer, in July in particular, for some reason, you can spend up to three hours waiting in line to see the Declaration of Independence in the National Archives. This document was actually the product of a five-man committee, and it was primarily led by Thomas Jefferson. His work was edited by Benjamin Franklin and John Adams, and then their work was edited by Congress. And by the way, as a side comment, they did edit out 20% of what Thomas Jefferson wrote, and he was not happy about that. <laughs> anyway, his primary source material came from the famous Christian English political philosopher, John Locke. They don't mention that in most schools, folks. And it's not a big surprise that Thomas Jefferson, even though he was not a Christian, he revered Christian principles. Thomas Jefferson said, for example, the Christian religion is most friendly to liberty, science, and the freest expansion of the human mind. Or while we're at it, America's other so-called famous deist was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, I don't believe he was a Christian, but he nevertheless said, history will afford frequent opportunities of showing the necessity of public religion and the excellency of the Christian religion above all others. Trust me, they're not in our schools right now, are they? By the way, in most schools, they are teaching our founders were a bunch of deists. A deist back then was a person who believed that God did make everything and then basically just walked away. Folks, Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson in particular did not believe that. They were strong on prayer. They were strong on the protection and providence and power of God. If they were deists, they weren't very good ones, were they? Well, anyway, folks, regarding the Declaration of Independence, as a result of this Christian influence, it was incredibly politically incorrect, something they don't talk about again in most schools, because it talks about God as a creator, God as a protector, God as a provider, God as a lawmaker, and, uh-oh, God as the supreme judge. You can't get much more politically incorrect than that. A while back, I was talking to a secular high school principal over the phone about speaking in his school, and of course, he gave me the usual lame excuse about church-state separation. Instead of addressing that pastor, I decided to go ahead and try a different approach. I said, sir, do you have a copy of the Declaration of Independence in your school? Oh, sure. In fact, I've got a framed copy on my wall. I'm looking at it right now in my office. I'm like, whoa, you better put that away. You might get arrested for violating church-state separation. Well, folks, let's get more specific. Let, let's turn to God as the creator. 
God's Word tells us, as pastors preached and taught, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Unfortunately, in most schools, they don't teach that, do they? They teach the theory of evolution, and they teach it as a fact. Even though in times past, we've looked at some of the many, many evidences that directly or indirectly point to creation by God. In spite of the fact that theory of evolution was becoming extremely popular, especially in Europe, our founders were huge on creation by God, and they thought it was important. Benjamin Franklin said, I believe in one God, the creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence, that he ought to be worshipped. A strong deist would not say that, folks. Thomas Jefferson, there is in all this design, cause and effect, up to an ultimate cause, a fabricator of all things from matter and motion, their preserver and regulator, we know is God. Or, regarding government, the father of the American Revolution was Samuel Adams, who said government is an ordinance of heaven designed by the all-benevolent creator. John Quincy Adams, president regarding morality, said concerning creation, the creator must also be the governor of the universe, that he is a righteous God and loves righteousness. Or patriotic Patrick Henry said regarding society and creation, we owe to our Creator the mutual duty of all to practice Christian forbearance, love, and charity towards each other. Regarding the law, the Father, we're told, of the U.S. Constitution, James Madison, we met him during Sunday school, didn't we? He stated, it is the duty of every man to render homage to the Creator. Or, a very unsung American hero, George Mason, uh, basically was the grandfather of our Bill of Rights. Regarding eternity, this Christian said, My soul I resign into the hands of my almighty Creator, whose tender mercies are all over his works. Fast forward for the sake of time, though, to the 20th century. The first George Bush said, Like them, our nation's founding fathers, do, we do very well to pray for continued help and guidance from our wise and loving Creator. So again, folks, our founders... They believed in creation, and they thought it was extraordinarily important. Which, by the way, speaking of George Bush 41, that brings us to Bomber Barbara. Where'd that term come from? Well, folks, he never really got the credit he deserved, but the fact is, the first George Bush, he flew 58 combat missions in the South Pacific during the Second World War. He was U.S. Navy's youngest aviator. He was heavily decorated for heroism during that war. During the war, he married his sweetheart, Barbara, and he named all three of his aircraft that he flew after her, including the torpedo bomber that made him a hero. He named it Bomber Barbara. Now, ladies, is that romantic or what? <laughs> Folks, it is a fact that our founders believed in creation, they thought it was important, and in fact, creation was foundational to this country. Indeed, Dwight D. Eisenhower, he stated, the founding fathers had to refer to the creator in order to make the revolutionary experiment make sense. Or, Alexander Hamilton said, natural liberty is a gift of the beneficent creator. President 
Herbert Hoover, later on, he would state, that great gift of freedom to mankind sprang from the creator and not from governments. Or Thomas Jefferson, he stated what? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men evolved unequally, that they were endowed by evolution with no rights at all except for survival of the fittest. Aren't we glad that's not what he said? Or moving on, regarding equality, President William Harrison stated, the beneficent creator has made no distinction amongst men. They're all upon an equality. Harry Truman, Baptist, he said regarding this, we believe that all men are created equal because they're created in the image of God. We could go on and on, folks, but it's extremely obvious, obvious that God and creation have been extremely important to America. And God is indeed no respecter of persons. Aren't we glad? But for the sake of time, we have to move on from God as a creator, as mentioned in the Declaration of Independence, America's national treasure, to God as the protector. The Bible tells us, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. During Sunday school, we mentioned the fact that George Washington, he believed that big time regarding himself and regarding his country. Washington said, let's not get carried away, I consider it an indispensable duty by commending the interest of our dearest country to the protection of Almighty God. During Sunday school, we mentioned the fact that regarding George Washington, he literally had nine lives. Historians do not understand how on earth he survived those eight particular battles. Indeed, more and more secular historians and journalists are now writing in secular books and publications. George Washington was bulletproof. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't even get scratched in combat, folks. Which brings me, folks, to, folks, to something I thought was kind of interesting. There's a website that asks the question, what does the Terminator have in common with George Washington? The answer, both were indestructible. Why? because both were actually cyborgs sent to the past from the future to fight against tyranny. <laughs> Back to our subject, folks. John Adams said, the safety and prosperity of nations depend on the protection and blessing of Almighty God. Ladies, his wife Abigail Adams said, as we mentioned during Sunday school, the remarkable interpositions of heaven in our favor cannot be too gratefully acknowledged. Fast forward to President James Monroe. My fervent prayers to the Almighty that he will continue to us that protection which is already so conspicuously displayed. Fast forward to President Franklin Pierce. Pierce County was named after him. Pierce said, there is no national security but a nation's humble, acknowledged dependence upon God. By the way, Pierce knew something about needing protection, folks, from God. An assassin tried to kill him at a train station by pummeling Franklin Pierce with a basket of hard-boiled eggs. Pearson, he survived this attack, and that's no yoke. <laughs> Moving on. Folks, we t they got that one, Pastor. <laughs> Moving on. President John Tyler, folks, he said, it becomes a Christian people to humble themselves under divine providence 
and to supplicate his merciful protection for the future. By the way, he knew something about needing protection for his family because he had a really big one. President John Tyler had no less than 15 kids. Fast forward to Ulysses S. Grant. Folks, he stated, let's back up here, a grateful acknowledgement should be made to Almighty God for the protection and the bounties which he has vouchsafed to our beloved country. And folks, he could have used some protection from his many, many fans. Ulysses S. Grant, folks, his friends gave him during his career over 10,000 boxes of cigars. That's 200,000 cigars. And he smoked most of them. The result, folks, he died from cancer. No big surprise. Or speaking of protection, does anybody know what American First Lady decided she needed protection in a physical way? She toted, folks, a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver. Anybody know who that was? The NRA loves this. Very unlikely person, Eleanor Roosevelt. That's right. The Secret Service was delighted she was packing heat. But <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover was terrified because he said she couldn't hit a barn with a bullet. <laughs> Her husband, Franklin Roosevelt, and this is not very well known. I don't know if Roosevelt was a Christian or not. I know that Theodore Roosevelt was. But Franklin Roosevelt, folks, was very devout and huge on prayer. And he said, regarding God's protection, we humbly ask the blessing of God. May he protect each and every one of us. May he guide me in the days to come. Which brings us to our national motto. Unofficially, since 1814, it's been in God we trust. And it was signed into law officially in 1956. Since 1864, it's been on most of our coins, and since 1957, it's been on almost all of our currency. I'm not a huge fan, but JFK hit the nail on the head when he stated the guiding principle of this nation has been, is now, and ever shall be, in God we trust. But again, for the sake of time, we turn to God as a provider, as mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. God's Word tells us, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. George Washington, I shall rely confidently on that providence which has heretofore preserved and been bountiful to me. John Adams, folks, I always consider the settlement of America with reverence and wonder as the opening of a grand scene and design in Providence. By the way, folks, John Adams wasn't known for his people skills, but he's considered the father of American independence. He was greatly respected, especially for his intellect. And it was commonly believed that it would be easier to put mittens on a grizzly bear than to fool John Adams. Thomas Jefferson, adore God, murmur not at the ways of providence. A staunch deist would not say something like that. By the way, speaking of Thomas Jefferson, I get kind of a kick out of this. Thomas Jefferson, he enjoyed irritating people who thought too highly of themselves, especially foreign dignitaries and aristocrats. 
he infuriated the British ambassador by greeting him while wearing pajamas and slippers. <laughs> Moving on, our other so-called staunch deist was Benjamin Franklin. And folks, I love Franklin's speech when he insisted that Congress needed to open in prayer every session. He stated in that speech, which you can see online, all of us have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. I love this part. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? The sarcasm is dripping, folks. As a result of Benjamin Franklin, Congress has opened in prayer every single session ever since. Now, if you think Congress has problems now, can you imagine how worse their problems would be if they did not open in prayer? I am, however, glad that Benjamin Franklin failed in one regard. He believed that what famous American bird should be our national motto. Anybody? The turkey. If he'd been successful, my rank insignia in the Air Force Reserve would be a turkey. I don't think so, folks. <laughs> By the way, how many Navy veterans do we have? Okay, all right, petty officers. They have a what in rank insignia? They have an eagle, don't they? If Franklin had been successful, it'd be a turkey. <laughs> well, back to our story, folks. President Martin Van Buren, he stated, whoops, my clicker's going nuts. Anyway, May it be among the dispensations of his providence to bless our beloved country with honors and length of days. Speaking of him, folks, he was very fond of his hometown, Old Kinderhook. In fact, that became his nickname. In the White House, they abbreviated that to OK. And staff members would say, has the old man OK'd that document? This is the origin of the most popular English term in the world, OK. You heard it here first. Congress stated, the people of these United States have been led by the, the hand of a kind providence and are dependent for continued prosperity in the future upon Almighty God. Woodrow Wilson, without belief in providence, I think I should go crazy. Without God, the world would be a maze without a clue. Fast forward to Dwight D. Eisenhower again. The real fire within the builders of America was faith. Faith in a provident God whose hand supported and guided them. Overall, let me close with this section. Once again, that so-called staunch deist, Benjamin Franklin, who was not a very strong deist at all. Franklin stated, God governs in the nations of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that a nation can rise without his aid? Next, God as the lawmaker, as described in the Declaration of Independence. Our founding fathers, folks, they looked to God for inspiration for the laws of the land. Samuel Adams, father of the American Revolution, stated, all men are equally bound by the laws of the Creator. His cousin, John Adams, once again, father of American independence. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of secular humanism. That's not what he said, is it? 
but that's what they're teaching in many schools. His son, President John Quincy Adams, stated, Is it not that the Declaration of Independence laid their cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of deism? That's not what they said, is it? Fast forward for the sake of time to the 20th century, President Gerald R. Ford. Without God, there could be no American form of government nor an American way of life. Fast forward to Ronald Reagan. Our nation's motto reflects a basic recognition that there's a divine authority in the universe to which this nation owes homage. By the way, speaking of Reagan, folks, he was a big fan of jelly beans, wasn't he? In fact, he kicked his smoking habit with the jelly belly jelly bean therapy. Every time he wanted to light up, he ate a handful of jelly belly jelly beans. Which brings us to a burning question you've been losing sleep over. When Ronald Reagan was inaugurated president in 1981, how many jelly belly jelly beans were distributed by the White House in honor of that event? This is a democracy, so I'll let you decide. How many here believe that Ronald Reagan's office handed out seven pounds of jelly belly jelly beans? Raise your hands, please. Okay. How many say it was 70 pounds? Okay, how many think it was 700 pounds? Okay, some hands are going up. How many believe that it was none of the above? Okay, a lot more. Hey, Pastor, your hand did not go up. Your wife is taking a stand. Okay, now his hand's going up. <laughs> Folks, my suggestion is after suffering through 10 years of college and graduate school, if I'm taking a multiple choice test and I don't have a clue what the correct answer is, I always choose none of the above. The correct answer is, believe it or not, and I found this documented in three different places, Ronald Reagan's office consumed or distributed on that day, believe it or not, three and a half tons of red, white, and blue jelly belly jelly beans. By the way, there was no such thing as a blue jelly bean at that time. The company invented it in honor of Ronald Reagan, and it became a big success. That's why you have the blueberry-flavored jelly belly jelly bean. You can thank Ronald Reagan. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> well, folks, our founders turned to the Word of God to get advice regarding God's laws. George Washington said, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Abraham Lincoln, without the Bible, we would not know right or wrong. By the way, speaking of Abraham Lincoln, what does he have in common with Hulk Hogan? <laughs> Anybody know? Both were professional wrestlers. Abraham Lincoln, as a young man, was in 300 wrestling matches. He only lost once. Abraham Lincoln and Hulk Hogan are both in the Worldwide Wrestling Hall of Fame. <laughs> Fast forward to the 20th century. Justice David Brewer, U.S. Supreme Court, the American nation, is based upon and permeated by the principles of the what, folks? That's right, the Bible. Fast forward to one of my favorite presidents. Theodore Roosevelt. I like him for all kinds of reasons. This is one of them. He stated, folks, the teachings of the Bible 
are so interwoven and entwined with our whole civic and, and social life that it would be literally impossible for us to figure ourselves what that life would be if these standards were removed. And of course, he's the reason we have the term teddy bear, which by the way, he really despised. <laughs> Another reason, and I don't mean to push my convictions on you, this is my personal preference. Another reason I like him, he was a teetotaler. Sometimes he would have a mint julep to help him go to sleep at night. He did not drink alcohol otherwise. What did he drink instead? Coffee, a whole lot of coffee. He averaged 16 cups of leaded coffee per day. This explains two things about him. Number one, why he was our most energetic president. <laughs> Number two, why he had a restroom built next to the Oval Office in the White House. <laughs> Moving on, folks, his cousin, Franklin Roosevelt stated, where we have been truest and most consistent in obeying the Bible's precepts, we have attained the greatest measure of contentment and prosperity. And folks, in particular, our founders, they turned to God for inspiration regarding laws. They turned to the Bible for specifics, and in particular, the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. If you go to Washington, D.C., folks, you can't go very far without coming across references to God, creation, the Bible, and, most of all, the Ten Commandments. They are everywhere. In fact, in the Supreme Court building, I counted four different places where the Ten Commandments are depicted. Regarding Ten Commandments, as we saw during Sunday school, he's called the architect of them, James Madison. And Madison said, We have staked the whole future of American civilization upon ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. President William McKinley, a very devout Christian, stated, The God of our fathers will not forsake us as long as we obey his commandments and walk humbly in his footsteps. Or, Baptist President Harry Truman, The Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount are all the ethical code anybody needs. And finally, folks, Ronald Reagan, he stated, I have wondered at times... Ten Commandments would have looked like if Moses had run them through the U.S. Congress. <laughs> Truly, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Well, folks, last not least, we now come to, once again, uh-oh, God as the Supreme Judge, as mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. Who said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Anybody know? Hard to believe, but it's true. Thomas Jefferson, the so-called deist. You know, I had one man accuse me of making this up or being mistaken. He wanted to know where I got that statement. I said, sir, I can tell you exactly where you can see that statement. In the Jefferson Memorial, there are four large marble walls with Quotations from Thomas Jefferson, three out of the four deal with God. And this is one of them right here, right there for everybody to see. Jefferson was not a very good deist at all because no staunch deist feared God. Jefferson did. Who said there is just reason to fear that unless we humble ourselves before the Lord and mend our ways, we may be chastised with yet heavier judgments? 
Benjamin Franklin, the other so-called staunch deist. He wasn't a very strong deist, was he? Because he too feared God, which is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? Who said, by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisement in the world, this world. Abraham Lincoln, he too feared God, and rightly so. By the way, folks, regarding Abraham Lincoln, the most important speech in American history is considered to be Lincoln's second inaugural address. This is a speech that he gave when he was reelected president. We find the entire speech inscribed on a wall in the Lincoln Memorial. Folks, it was a sermon preached by Abraham Lincoln. He did everything but take an offering. This speech by Abraham Lincoln quotes Matthew 18, 7, Psalm 19, 9, and refers to Genesis 3, 19, Matthew 7, 1, Psalm 147, verse 3, and James 1, 27, to God 14 times. The fact is, the Bible does warn us, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Well, folks, the good news is, the good news is, God's justice is balanced by his mercy, isn't it? If we humble ourselves and ask forgiveness of our sins and turn to him, he will forgive us, won't he? And our founding fathers believe that. George Washington, unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions. Very devout Christian, John Hancock, the one with the big handwriting, he stated, confess and deplore many sins, humbly beseeching him to forgive our iniquities. Our very first U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice, John Jay, our gracious creator, has provided for us a redeemer and has opened a way for our redemption and salvation. Alexander Hamilton, I have a tender reliance upon the mercy of the Almighty through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. President John Quincy Adams, my hopes of a future life are all founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Abraham Lincoln, it is a duty of nations as well as of men to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. Woodrow Wilson, pray to Almighty God that he may forgive our sins and to purpose only those righteous acts and judgments which are in conformity with his will. FDR, I do hereby appoint a day of prayer of asking forgiveness for our shortcomings of the past, of consecration to the tasks of the present, of asking God's help in the days to come. Ronald Reagan chose as his inaugural verse in both of his speeches that famous verse in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Folks, we could go on and on and on, but these are the reasons why the Declaration of Independence is considered to be our national treasure. These references to God, folks, make the Declaration all that it's meant to be for us. Could we have the lights, please? We hope and pray if there's anybody here 
Who has not turned to the God of our fathers and mothers that today would be that time? We hope and pray if there's anybody here who has not obeyed God's word by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that today might be that time. If there's anybody here who has any doubts at all about eternity, about salvation, about going to heaven for certain, please see one of us. We would be thrilled to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? How we can know that we have eternal life. We don't have to hope or feel. We can know we're going to heaven. Isn't that great? Now, most of us, we know we're going to heaven, don't we? But as the song goes, we've only just begun, right? Salvation is a gift, isn't it, from God. We don't earn heaven, do we? It's a gift because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross for us. But after we do become Christians, if we do love God and we are born again, there should be signs of that, fruits, right? Evidences that we're different, that we're changed. If we are born again, if we are members of God's spiritual family, we should want to serve our Lord, shouldn't we? We should want to honor our Lord. And the good news is, He's given us here in this church a great place in which to serve Him, hasn't He? I've not asked Pastor Dave about this, but I have had the opportunity of speaking in about 500 churches, and I'd be willing to bet if I were a betting person. There are opportunities for spiritual service in this church. Is that right, Pastor Dave? Folks, I'll bet there are classes to teach in this church. There are songs to sing. There are floors to mop, diapers to change, doors to knock, prayers to be prayed. I'll bet there's something for everybody. A while back, a sweet little old lady told me, I wish I could do something, but what can I do? I said, ma'am, you can be a prayer warrior, like George Washington. She thought that was pretty cool. Get a list of people to pray for. Get a list of ministries and causes to pray for. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for me, okay? And she thought that was a spiffy idea. So, folks, there's something for everybody, isn't there? As we wrap things up, if you would please stand. Let me pray and then turn the services back over to Pastor for him to conclude as he sees fit. My wife and I would be happy to talk with you some more right over here if you like. Let's talk to our creator, shall we? the creator who meant so much to our founders. Our God, we thank you so much for this church and for its testimony. We thank you for its people. We thank you for any visitors. We thank you for the leadership. We hope and pray that if there's anybody here who's not yet turned to you, that today would be that time. And for the rest of us, most of us who are born again, we are redeemed, we're converted, we're going to heaven, have us make you proud of us. Have us make you glad that you did make us, you do love us, and you've got a plan for us, starting with salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray for our country during these challenging times, and we pray that your will would be done. We thank you that in spite of all of our flaws and sins and shortcomings that you founded this country, you've been using this country, and we pray that you'll continue to use this country. And as we celebrate this Veterans Day weekend, we thank you for our veterans who have served you and our country. We pray for blessings upon them. We pray for the, your blessings upon our service personnel, who are, even as we speak, all around the world, and in some cases, risking your lives for God and country. We thank you for all this in the name of our Lord, Savior, and Creator, Jesus Christ. Amen.